Hey, New City, as we come into this time with the coronavirus, uh, one of the things that we want to be intentional about during this time is loving our neighbor well. Uh, we want to we walk both in, in wisdom and while also not fearing what's going on around us. So we want to we really seek to love the people. We want to seek to serve the marginalized. Uh, we all wanna be, also want to be a people that walk in great wisdom. And so um, with this time, it brings an opportunity for us to, to love our neighbor um, and, and to really seek to what to, to, to seek to le- see what's going on with our world today. And so as we continue in our series in Mark, we're going to be in chapter eight. Uh, so you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, we got a, we've got a lot of ground to cover today. We've got about 50 verses. I'm going to summarize a lot of it. We initially planned to pass over a lot of this uh, because as we'll see, there's some repetition from our previous stories. And we're going to try and stick uh, with the sermon series to answer the question, who is, Je- who is Jesus? We initially thought we were going to come away with a lot of the same ideas as we go through this sermon. Uh, But then as I started reading this, and as we've been studying this book, I thought it was worth stopping and digging into a little bit more, because uh, we see uh, repetition in Scripture. It's it's always worth worth stopping and pausing and giving a little bit more attention. And so knowing this, we're going to take a really broad stroke over the end of chapter 7 and and all of chapter 8, and so we can understand what's going on. And then we're going to really focus our attention in chapter chapter 8. And I would encourage you I would encourage each of you as you're sitting in your homes, maybe sometime later this week, to go back and read these stories on your own time. And there's a constant tension that we deal, deal with here at New City. It's going slowly through a passage, uh, di- diving deep into a few verses, a story at a time, which honestly, that's my preference. Uh, but if, it, if I did this, if we did this every time, we'd be in the book of Mark for almost two years, uh, which sometimes that may be good to do. But there are also 66 books of the Bible that we want to be faithful to teach. And so we kind of live in that tension uh, and today, we're, we're right smack in the middle of Jesus' ministry. The past few stories, we've seen Jesus start to turn towards the cross, uh, making, his, making hints towards the cross. And, and today, we're at the peak of the turn. Jesus is trying to show his disciples, uh, he's been trying to show them that he's more than a miracle-working genie uh, and more than, a kingly, uh, more than a royal kingly messiah. He's more than that. He's trying to show them that he would also be a suffering servant. But his disciples, they weren't grasping it. They weren't getting it. They've been missing it. In our text today, he just lays it out there for them plainly. Uh, It's kind of like in one of those Hallmark movies when a girl is dropping hints, uh, trying to let the the guy know that she's interested. Uh, But the guy is a complete moron. You know, he's he's missing every hint she's dropping. And then she finally just tells the guy straight up, uh, well, that's that's what Jesus is doing here today for his disciples. Uh, But leading up to that, we've got a few miracles uh, that feel like repeat miracles. We're gonna, uh, but we're gonna take a broad, uh, sweeping look at the collection of these stories, but specifically looking at the way in which Jesus is helping his disciples to understand, to understand more fully who he is, to fully understand his messiahship. That uh, they knew Jesus was special, but they didn't fully understand what that meant. So zooming out on our collection of stories, we're gonna we're gonna see one main idea in our search to answer the question, who is Jesus, and and here's and here's what it is. Jesus, the suffering servant, disciples. These stories individually, when you really zoom in on them, uh, show more specific themes and ideas that we won't get into as much today. Uh, But as we zoom out, we we see a few more common themes uh, that we'll look at that we may have missed if we have a magnifying glass on these stories individually. And so as we zoom in and look more specifically, or, or zoom out, excuse me, as we zoom out and look more specifically how Jesus' disciples I hope this encourages each of, each of us to evaluate our own lives and ministry. 
uh, to evaluate specifically how we make disciples and also to evaluate our own lives and how we follow Jesus. And real quick, when we talk about discipleship and we talk about uh, Jesus or say Jesus disciples, it's important for us to understand the term discipleship. What what do we mean? Uh, And discipleship is the process of teaching others to follow Jesus. Really simple. And as we'll see today, discipleship is not just teaching people content. We say here at New City Church that, that discipleship is teaching the Word and it's modeling the Word. It's engaging people with their heads, their hearts, and their hands, uh, like teaching people the Bible, what we do here on, on Sundays, and preaching, the teach, and preaching and teaching God's Word. And what often happens, though, in the American church is that it stops there. But something we're passionate about here at New City, and honestly, why city groups are so important is also engaging people with their hearts, right? asking hard questions, caring for people well, and then also engaging people with their hands, getting, getting to put these things into practice, practicing what is taught, modeling the Word. And so we're going to zoom out today and see Jesus do all of these things to show His disciples more of who He is so they can fully understand His Messiahship. As Pastor Kevin DeYoung has said, in order to understand Jesus' discipleship, the disciples needed to first understand His Messiahship. That's what Jesus is doing. He's trying to get his disciples to understand more fully who he is. And when we examine what Jesus is doing, how he disciples, how he's discipling them to understand their messi- his messiahship, we're also going to get to a bigger picture of who Jesus is, answering that question, who is Jesus? And tonight we're going to see that Jesus' discipleship is for all people. Number two, Jesus disciples through repetition. And number three, Jesus disciples through sacrifice. The first, the first two points, as I've said, are going to feel different than what we normally do because they're more thematic in nature. Uh, they're common themes over a few different stories. And so I'm going to spend some time summarizing and briefly telling some of these collections of stories and then point to these themes, kind of these overarching themes in these texts. And then the last point is going to be more like what we typically do in an expositional nature, going through a few verses at a time. Uh, but again, they all come together because we're seeing how Jesus is revealing to his disciples more fully who he is. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and put your finger at the middle of chapter 7 in Mark. Uh, We're going to be walking through this, and just so you guys can follow along with us in your homes, so you can uh, engage if you have your Bibles open. Um, So I'm going to give a quick overview of these stories. We're going to kind of go through them. I want you to kind of follow along with me as we go. Can we overview these stories so we can make a few observations and and show our first few points? If you look at chapter 7, where we stopped last week, after Jesus deals with the scribes and Pharisees, You'll see starting in chapter 7, verse 24, uh, the story of the Syrophoenician woman's faith. Uh, Try to say that 10 times fast. It's really hard to do. (laughs) Where Jesus heals a woman's young daughter with an unclean spirit. In this story, similar to what we saw early in the book of Mark, seeing that Jesus is over the demonic. That's what we see in that story. We covered this story uh, back in, in January when we were going through the book of Matthew and Kids Weekend. Um, And then we see in the very next story, we see Jesus healing a deaf man, starting in chapter 7, verse 31. Again, Jesus is reiterating that Jesus has the power to heal, which we we have a reason to praise the Lord for that tonight, that that Jesus has the power to heal with our current situation going on. And then at the beginning of chapter 8, the most similar repeat account, we see Jesus multiply seven loaves and a few small fish to feed 4,000 people, showing that Jesus cares and that Jesus satisfies, that Jesus is the bread of life. And so we have three very similar stories, almost repeat stories, that answer the same question about Jesus that we saw earlier in the book of Mark. But what's interesting about these stories 
is that he's doing it in a completely different region. He's doing it to a completely different people. Showing us our first point that, number one, Jesus' discipleship is for all people. The first set of miracles, they were primarily done in Jewish regions, but these miracles were done in specifically in Gentile regions, which, which is just means it's, it's a non-Jewish region. Mark goes out of his way in this collection of stories to show that Jesus came both for the Jews and for the Gentiles. That Jesus came for all people, that nobody is outside of the reach of his kingly rule. Just like Mark typically does in his book, he doesn't uh, tell us this. Mark shows us this through these stories. Because remember, last week, at the beginning of chapter 7, we saw Jesus' spicy encounter with the religious scribes and Pharisees who were considered uh, Israel's religious elite. And then in chapter 7, verse 14, at the beginning of our collection of stories, if you have your Bibles, it says, they went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Which, that's just a, that's a traditional Hellenistic region. It's basically the most non-Jewish place they could go. You know, it was a stereotypical Gentile region. And then we see, Mark goes out of his way again, in chapter 7, verse 26, it's the miracle where he, where he heals a young girl to show that the, the mother is a Gentile woman. He says, he says specifically it's a Gentile woman. And then again, he goes out of his way in chapter 7, verse 31, to show us that Jesus does, uh, goes to another Gentile region, called the Decapolis, where he heals a deaf man. And then, at the beginning of chapter 8, we see the feeding of the 4,000 uh, was also likely to be a, another Gentile region. And so this is a clear turning point for Jesus. Jesus went first to the Jews, and then he went to the Gentiles, uh, showing his disciples, making a very clear statement to his disciples, discipling them, uh, modeling for them that he's the Messiah for all people, not just the Jews. Which, for us, listening to this, this is really good, really good news, because most of us, we don't have a Jewish heritage. And so practically speaking, Jesus is making it clear through his life that Jesus crosses all cultural backgrounds. And so for us to think about here, there's a major misunderstanding in the world uh, that Christianity is an American religion, it's a, it's, or a Western religion. So let me just, let me just flat out tell us uh, that nothing could be further from the truth. What, absolutely, what is absolutely true from the Bible is that Jesus cares for all people, for people all over the world. And so, for us, that means that we too need to be for all people. You know, if you come around to our church for long enough, you'll find out that we're, we're passionate about God's global mission, getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. Um, it's a non-negotiable for us. We're going to do it. Uh, but then also globally, not just globally crossing cultures, but also locally crossing cultures. We know we've talked about this a lot uh, we need to be intentionally with the people who aren't like us, uh, from, from all cultural backgrounds. We see this in, verse, in the first verse of chapter 7, verse 24, if you see it. It says, we, we see there that Jesus intentionally get up. He intentionally gets up and goes to a different region. He goes to a Gentile region, a place where most people in this area, they may not look like Jesus, they may not talk like Jesus, they may not have the same cultural upbringing as him, um, because what we see is that it took intentionality and specific purpose for him to go to this specific area. And so what that means for us is that every single person who calls himself a disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, we need to follow Jesus' model. The discipleship is for all people, both globally around the world and also locally here in the Tampa Bay area. We must be a church that seeks and strives to cross all cultural barriers where we're working and striving towards that end. Um, but, but we have a long way to go here at New City Church. So um, something simple for all of us to evaluate uh, is 
what does this, what does this look like for our individual lives to cross cultural barriers? What does it look like for our church uh, to intentionally cross cultures in a local setting? Um, the next thing you know, I want to point out here as we zoom out again and look at these three miracles is that Jesus, both Jesus and Mark show that number two, Jesus disciples through repetition. I don't know, uh, I don't know if anyone listening uh, at home has ever been a little slow at getting something. You know, uh, if you've ever seen something done or been told something a few times before you get it right, it's like maybe like remembering someone's name or learning a new skill. Um, unfortunately, uh, as I have bukus of these in my life. Uh, for example, our, our awesome tech team, they had to show me about 10 times how to take this little cord out of the battery pack uh, to unplug my battery pack from the headset. Um, apparently, these, these headsets are both childproof and preacher-proof. Uh, and then also, this past week, it was our youngest daughter's birthday. She turned three. You know, we got her a little $25 big wheel set off of Amazon that I about lost my mind trying to put together. Uh, me and Kelly got into a little marital scuffle because neither one of us could figure out how to do this. Uh, let me tell you, if they need to give you multiple extra little plastic pieces because they know that people are going to get it wrong on the first time, that's a bad design. <laughs> Let me assure you that I finally got it together after I read one step in the directions about 10 times. We, we see this all the time, though. We, we, repetition is key. We have to do things over and over again. We see it in sports. We see it in school. We see it in hobbies and music and learning any skill. We see that repetition is key. But as we'll see, repetition is also important in the Christian life. This is not an exaggeration. Um, I had to hear the gospel about 50 times before I responded in faith to Christ. Repetition is key in all areas. It's, 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 it's key in discipleship and in evangelism. And as we see with the disciples, uh, belief and understanding, it can take time. Repetition in the Christian life is essential. And when this happens, when we hear things, when we have, when we have things in our life that are continually pointing us to Jesus— or helping us to remember the gospel, we have to know that when we see those things, we have those things in our life, those are a picture of God's grace in our life. That God is showing us patience in our life. And when we look at these stories, specifically the story where Jesus feeds 4,000 with seven loaves and, and two fish, and a few fish, uh, the, the disciples in this moment, they look like complete knuckleheads. Because if you remember a few chapters earlier in chapter 4, Jesus just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. It was a miraculous event. And then now, four chapters later in chapter 8, Jesus comes to his disciples, showing them a large crowd and says, hey, this crowd has nothing to eat. We're in a desolate place. I have compassion on them. This should sound very, very similar and familiar to the disciples. And you know what the disciples say back to Jesus? How are we going to feed these people? It's like they have amnesia, you know, and then showing much patience, Jesus proceeds to do almost the exact same thing he did in chapter four, leaving everyone satisfied after he multiplies the loaves and the fish. And then ironically enough, just like after the, the experience in chapter four, they experience trouble and they get into a boat. And then verse 14 to 16 shows us that they get into a boat, but they only take one loaf of bread onto the boat. And then they are worried about only having one loaf of bread on this boat. And so for us here today, it would be really easy for us to cast stones as the disciples here from the outside looking in, saying things like, oh, you of little faith, 
Don't you believe? Don't you have, why don't you understand what is wrong with you? Have you forgotten what God has done? It would be easy to say, you've seen God do it once. We've seen God do it twice. He can do it again, which is absolutely true. But then we realize that we're often just like the disciples. You know, we've seen God move mountains in our life. We've sometimes multiple times. And then the next mountain comes, the next trial comes, something like coronavirus comes, and we're filled with doubt, we're filled with fear, we're filled with unbelief. And in God's kindness, He uses different modes of repetition to remind us over and over and over again that God is faithful. We cannot remember during this time that God is faithful, that God has done, done this once and He can do it again. Brothers and sisters, we need, to, we need modes of repetition in our life, especially during this time of uncertainty. We need repetition in our life. This is grace to us. And so a simple application for us to consider, what healthy repetitive patterns have you put in your life? Or what healthy repetitive patterns will you put in your life knowing that we're going into a different type of season as a church body, knowing that we can't gather together like we normally do, knowing that we're going to be doing things differently. We have to have, be intentional to put repetitive patterns in our life to be reminded of the gospel. We're going to do things like this. We're going to, we're going to, pre, we're going to continue to preach. We're going to continue to do things as a church because we want our church body to be reminded of the gospel, to be, to be reminded of God's grace. And so other things we have to think about. Are we repetitively, are we continually in God's Word? Are we meditating on Scripture? Are we regularly, are we communicating with our groups? Are we going to be in groups together if we can? Are we going to uh, communicate with them? Are we going to uh, make listening to sermons a priority? Do we, do we have people around us that are continually pointing us to Jesus? Maybe we need to use things like Zoom and FaceTime to be engaging with each other during this time, to be repetitive with each other, to, to point each other to God's grace. And so we have, to, we have to remember that we need this in our life. These are means of God's grace in our life because let's be honest, we're just like the disciples. <laughs> we need repetition in our life to fully grasp and remember the gospel. But let's, let's get back to our story because something interesting happens in our collection of stories. After they get off the boat, uh, there are a couple of things here that I, that I want to just point out that are important for the book of Mark and symbolize a major turning point in the book and in Jesus' ministry. Um, right after the disciples show their forgetfulness, when Jesus has shown patience upon patience upon patience, Jesus comes in and he just starts to drill his disciples with questions. He gives them question after question after question. He, he's taught them, he's modeled for them, and now he's getting at their heart. You know, a lot of commentators have said that this is one of Jesus' more uh, angry moments in his ministry because it's, it's clear that his disciples are not getting it. Uh, they've got gaps in their faith. And Jesus comes in, starting in verse 17. If you have your Bibles, look at it there. Uh, there's a, there's, he gives a stream of questions. Uh, he asks about seven or, quite, seven or eight questions. He says things like, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you not remember? Do you not remember the, what, what, what I've already done with the bread and the fish? Right? Do, you not, do you not yet understand? And then the very next story, in chapter 8, verse 22, Jesus does yet another miracle. He heals a blind man. This is a very interesting moment in the story. This, this story that we see is very significant because what he's about to show them, he's about to show them a picture of their understanding. He's about to show them a picture of what they, what, how they understand who Jesus really is. He's going to 
illustrate to them what he's about to do. So this healing that we see in that story, it's a slower healing process than in times past. You know, it's a twofold healing process. The first time the man opens his eyes, uh, he says, they look like trees. You know, they, everything, everything I see, the people walking around, they look like trees. And he, he can see, he can see better than he could before, but it's just not clear. And this is just like the disciples. And then he does it a second time. He opens his eyes again, and then he could see clearly. And Jesus, in this moment, is showing what he will soon do with the disciples. He's illustrating it to them. And then everything, it finally starts to come to the surface. Jesus is on the road and asks Peter with all the disciples around him. Looking at chapter, you know, looking at chapter, uh, look at chapter 8, verse 29. This is what he says. And he asked him. He just directly asked him. He cuts to the chase. He bluntly asked him at this time. He says, what, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him. He answered him correctly. He says, you are the Christ. And so when Peter calls him the Christ, that just means Peter recognizes that Jesus was the man sent by God that will deliver his people, that will rescue his people. But there's something that's not quite right because Peter knew he was the Messiah, the deliverer. Peter, Peter knew he was the rescuer, but he didn't know or understand how Jesus would rescue. He didn't understand how Jesus was going to rescue. You see, Jesus was illustrating how the disciples were just like the blind man, how they could only partially see who Jesus was. And then just like the blind man, Jesus came back a second time so they could begin to fully see. Jesus now is going to open up the eyes of the disciples so they can see more clearly, so they can fully see his Messiahship, what it fully means for him to be the Messiah. And this is where we're going to zoom back into the text. You know, the second half of our time, we're going to look more intently at the end of chapter 8. So look at verses 31, starting at verse 31. It says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And he finally comes out and tells them. He tells them plainly, as it says in the text, that he must suffer and be killed and that he would rise again. He's, he's making it very clear to them that he's not just a royal king, but he's also the suffering servant. That Jesus' crown, it didn't come with rubies and roses. No, Jesus' crown came with thorns. And he's making that very clear. Jesus teaches them that he's not going to receive the royal treatment that they expected him to receive. No, he would be, as it says, he would be rejected by the elders. He'd be rejected by the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed. And then he would rise again. At this point, we've seen that Jesus' ministry has started to turn towards the cross. He started to go directly to the cross. He's beginning his route to the cross, and it becomes clear they still didn't understand what he meant when he said, after three days, you'll rise again. They didn't get it. They didn't get when he said it, because if they fully understood what they meant, Peter would not have done this very next thing, which he says, look at the second half of verse 32 and 33. It says, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So Jesus looks at Peter. He rebukes him. He, he, he looks at Peter and he sees Satan trying to stop him from going to the cross. And that was the last thing Jesus was going to let him do. So he let Peter and the disciples know that his death was God's plan. We can say it this way. 
The disciples planned to crown him as a royal king, but God's plan was for him to be nailed to a bloody cross. Showing that the way to God is down, it's not up. The way to God is through humility, it's not through pride. The way to God is through a bloody cross, it's not through green pastures. Yes, God lays us down in green pastures. God works miracles, God heals, God provides, and God protects, and God satisfies, and we can praise the Lord for all of these things, and we want to remember these things during this time, but we must also know that Jesus' crown came with a bloody cross. Christianity, void of the cross, it's not Christianity. It's a form of deistic moralism that does not save, and it certainly will not fully satisfy. The only way to find full satisfaction, full healing, and to see the greatest miracles is through Jesus' sacrifice to the cross. He had to go to the cross. Which leads us to our third point, Jesus' disciples through sacrifice. Jesus is continuing to teach his disciples, but he's discipling them towards something that they were not expecting. They weren't expecting this. In the remaining of the chapter, we see the idea Jesus is the suffering servant. We see that idea of him, the suffering servant. We see him, how he's discipling the disciples. We see how he's discipling and how, his, uh, how he's a suffering servant. We all see it collide. And we see that Jesus disciples, but he disciples as a suffering servant. Again, he's showing them that in order to fully understand Jesus' discipleship, we need to fully understand his Messiahship. And Jesus' Messiahship includes the suffering servant that sacrifice, which gets us uh, at starting in verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For, who, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You know, in this moment, Jesus is teaching that those that follow Jesus, those that are disciples of Jesus, he's showing them that his discipleship must be just like his, his discipleship must be just like his messiahship. And Jesus is showing and teaching that his Messiahship comes with a cross. His Messiahship comes with great sacrifice. And as we know, the servant, a servant is not greater than his, uh, his master. If Jesus the Messiah, if Jesus, rescue, if Jesus the rescuer's road included thorns, a disciple should expect the same road. If Jesus the Son of Man, if Jesus the Master, the King of God's kingdom, came with a road of suffering and great sacrifice, his disciples should expect the exact same road. If Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, came as a humble servant, his disciples should expect the exact same. So when the suffering servant disciples showing great sacrifice, his followers, his disciples must follow his lead. And so that being said, look at these verses again. Look at verse 34 and 35 again. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. The first thing we see, the first thing we see here is we see Jesus calling both the crowds and the disciples. He's calling both the followers and the crowds. And so tonight, I want to do the exact same thing. <laughs> I have no idea who's listening here tonight, who's, who's under the sound of my voice, but I want to call both the crowd and the followers. If you're listening tonight and you are a follower of Christ, this is for you. If you're listening here tonight and you're not a follower of Christ, if you're in the crowd, if somehow you have stumbled upon this video, know that, but you're, know that this is for you. 
If you're not a follower of Christ, this is for you. Just like he did for the crowd here in verse 34. Know this, that Jesus is calling on you too. He's calling on you tonight. If you're listening and you would not consider yourself a follower of Christ, the fact that you're even listening to this, the fact that you even stumbled upon this is grace to you here tonight. Is evidence that Jesus is knocking on your door. He's calling on you. Hear this, Jesus, God's son, he came down to earth over 2,000 years ago. Jesus came down on a rescue mission as the Messiah. And as we saw earlier, Jesus came for all people. He didn't come for the religious elite, for those that seem like they've got it all together. No, he came for all people from all cultures all over the world. Jesus came, he was born as a baby, lived a completely sinless life. He never disobeyed God. He healed the sick, the blind, walked on water, cast out demons. He performed miracle after miracle. But you see, that wasn't his rescue mission. That was not his rescue mission. His rescue mission included included redeeming a broken humanity, which included more than outside miracles because outside miracles can't fix what's wrong with the world. It can't. As we saw last week, the problem with the world is not on the outside of us. The problem with the world today is not coronavirus. What's wrong with the world is what's inside of us. It's our inside heart problem. The sin in our heart, the hate, the pride, the jealousy, the envy, and on and on and on. The sin problem on the outside of us is what produces the sin that comes out of us. That's what Jesus came to redeem and restore. And so tonight, if, if, if you're here tonight, hearing the sound of my voice, hearing the words that I'm saying, that Jesus came down to earth to redeem, to rescue, and restore, not just to restore you to make a better person, but to restore you to make you holy and blameless. Because without believing in Jesus, you're not holy and you're not blameless. Without Jesus, right? without, without Jesus marching on the road towards death, you can't be holy and blameless. But hear this tonight as good news. You don't have to march on the road towards death because Jesus was sent to a cross so you could march on the road towards eternal life. That's God's gift to you. That's God's gift of grace to you during this time of uncertainty. The most certain thing we have, we can have right now, is our eternal life. If you are a follower of Christ, that is something that we can can revel in, that we can glory in, and we must understand that the way to the throne of grace is through the cross of Christ. If you're hearing this tonight, this is grace for you. He's calling you. He is calling on you. When Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, calls on us, it demands a response. And I hope and pray that we would respond, that you would respond in faith and begin your journey of following Jesus. But, as you must, but you must be warned, as we'll see, following Jesus comes at a great price. Following Jesus comes with a great sacrifice. If the man we're following was sent to a cross, requiring great sacrifice, giving up his very life, we should expect the exact same which is exactly what Jesus tells both the crowd and the disciples starting in verse 34. Look what it says. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And after he calls everyone to him, after they've seen his greatness, after they've seen parts of his glory, after Jesus has performed miracles, healing people, showing that he is in fact the that God, that he's worthy of following God, he first says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow Jesus, if anyone calls Jesus Lord, if anyone claims to be his disciples, what he says next, this is what we should expect. Basically saying, this is the normal life. This is the normal life. He says, let him deny himself. If you're a follower of Christ, we have to deny ourselves. If anyone follows him, we must deny ourselves or herself or himself. Again, Jesus is discipling towards sacrifice, essentially saying we're no longer in charge. 
We don't direct our life. We're no longer the most important thing in our life. I, I don't know about you, but that's really hard for me to hear to myself, for myself here today. For all of us. This is hard to hear because we live in a culture that expects, that says the exact opposite. We, put, we live in a culture that puts us at the center of our life. That puts ourselves first. But, but Jesus says, no. He says, deny yourself. We could stop there. Right, we could stop there and that would be hard enough because our natural tendency is to elevate, elevate ourselves and not to deny ourselves. But Jesus is discipling, is teaching his uh, disciples and us here today, he's teaching us a new paradigm, a new way. Jesus is teaching that the way up is down. We don't take the high seat as followers of Christ. We take the low seat. And then he goes further and Jesus says next, he says, take up your cross. This doesn't mean we put on our cross necklace when we say take up our cross. You know, something we need to understand here is that during this time, uh, the cross was an instrument of cruelty, shame, and torture. Uh, what he's saying in this time is pretty extreme and radical. Um, this isn't the nice, polite Christi uh, Christianity we would think of. You know, he, he's essentially saying, be prepared to die. You know, how, how's that motivation for following Jesus today, right? It could cost you your very life. This doesn't quite give us the warm and fuzzies that we would typically want to hear on a day like today, on a, in a season like now. Uh, but this doesn't get people to come to church. You know, but I think we can all agree this probably wasn't exactly what the disciples were expecting either. And when Jesus first said, come and follow me, and I want to be careful um, and sensitive here with our current situation. I think we need to separate this from a global health uh, pandemic. This is not a call for us to be heroes during this time, but we'd also be wise, but it's still true, right? What Jesus is getting at here is that when we follow Jesus, he becomes the master and we become his servant. And the preferences of the master, the preferences of Jesus rule the day. We have to die. We have to dethrone our life. We have to put our death, we have to put to death our own preferences. We have to put the proper king on the throne because Jesus knows there can only be one king on the throne. And when Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross, he's essentially saying, remove yourself off of the throne. Put, put Jesus on the throne and prepare to go to war. Prepare to begin putting to death the sin in your life. Prepare to put to death your own goals and ambitions and let, go, your, and let God's goals and ambitions rule your life. Prepare to put to death a preferred lifestyle worldly ambitions, and follow Jesus' way of life, follow Jesus' ambitions. That's discipleship. Jesus, is, Jesus disciples us by handing us a cross. He disciples us by handing us a cross and saying, I went to the cross to die to make you mine. If you're going to follow me, I'm going to give that cross right back to you. That's what he says. That's discipleship 101. So you can, he gives it back to us so we can begin putting to death what sent Jesus to the cross. The Christian life of following Jesus is a life full of sacrifice. It's a life that takes ourself off the throne and places Jesus on the throne. Listen, listen to this. We can't expect the Christian life to be the royal treatment with rubies and roses when the royal treatment that Jesus received included whippings, thorns, and nail-pierced hands. Following Jesus comes with a cross. that says, start putting to death your sin. Start putting to death your preferences, your comforts, your ambitions, and your lifestyles, and it may also cost you your life. And then we begin to watch his miracle-working power go to work in our lives. God starts to change us. Jesus changes us from the inside out to make us more like himself, to live the life that we were created to live. And then in the midst of this, 
we start to understand that Jesus truly is the only thing that will fully satisfy our souls. We start to understand that what Jesus meant when he said he was the bread of life. Listen, if what Jesus is showing both his disciples and us is that step one in discipleship is not to elevate ourselves. Step one in discipleship is to pick up our cross. Denying ourself, denying, taking up our cross and following Jesus, this is not an easy task, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And so what we need to ask ourselves and consider here tonight is what part of our life needs to see the cross? What in our life needs to be put to death? What sin habit in our life needs to go to the cross? What preferences in our life need to go to the cross? What part of our lifestyle needs to go to the cross? What part of our attitude, our frustrations, our bitterness, resentment, anger, jealousy, what part of that needs to go to the cross? We could go on and on. We each have something in our life, most likely many things that need to be put to death that need to go to the cross. This is the Christian life. The Christian life comes with a cross. Look what Jesus says next in verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. Jesus is getting at the heart of something that we all wrestle with. What we think, uh, what our culture thinks, what the world thinks, and it's that in order to have the best life possible, our best life possible, we need to take charge of our life. We need to hold on tight. We need to take control of our circumstances and charge the hill because our destiny is in our hands. It's up to me and nobody else. We could say it this way. You know, our flesh, it doesn't want a cross. Our flesh wants a crown. What Jesus is saying here is no. When your destiny is in your hands, when you're searching for a crown, you will lose it. When you're searching for a crown, you're on the wrong path. Rather, when we hand over our crown to Jesus, it feels like we're losing because we're no longer in charge. We're no longer the king of our life. But what happens is we're not losing because the God of the universe comes in and saves us. Because through the gospel, Jesus gives us, Jesus gives us what comes with the crown, with his crown. When we are in Christ, through the gospel, we sit down at the right hand of God with access to God's royal throne, to know him, to be with him, to be loved and cared by him. We didn't earn that. Jesus earned that. But in Christ, we reap the benefits. But as we said, as we said, we can't forget that Jesus' crown came with thorns. And so as we close out our time, we must ask the same question that Jesus asked in verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? If you're listening here and you're not a Christian, if you're home at night, if you're home right now and you're sitting, sitting there and you're listening to this, if you're not following Jesus, listen, your very soul is on the line. I don't know how to put it any more plainly. Your soul is on the line. If you have, you have two options. You can follow the world. You can chase what the world has to offer and in return kill your soul. Or you can follow Jesus. You can chase what Jesus has to offer and you can and save your soul. If what the Bible says is truth, there are, there are only two options. There are only two options. Fall in the world now, reject Jesus, and kill your soul for eternity, or reject the world now, follow Jesus, and save your soul for eternity. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. And I plead with you. We plead with you as a church body. New City Church pleads with you that you would choose to follow Jesus. Because hear this, Jesus wants to disciple you. He wants to disciple you. The God of the universe wants to know you. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. He wants to help you. Jesus is calling on you. He's calling on you. 
And will you respond in faith by trusting in Jesus? And then finally, if you do consider yourself a follower of Jesus, if you're, if you're walking with, with Jesus, hear this tonight as well. Jesus wants to disciple you. He wants to disciple you. Jesus wants to disciple you by seeing you interact with all people. He wants, to, he wants to see you be intentional to cross cultures and lifestyles. He wants to see you be intentional to, to be in, with the cross cultures here in Tampa and across the globe. Jesus wants to disciple you through repetition, by putting continual reminders of the gospel in front of you, by being in the word, by being with people, by listening to what Jesus has had to say in your life. And then finally, Jesus wants to disciple you through sacrifice. Jesus wants to disciple you by handing you a cross. By daily reminding us to, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Listen, Jesus is the suffering servant and the disciples. Will you let him disciple you? Will you follow him? If you're here tonight and if you're hearing this and you're listening to this, I pray that you would. I pray that you would. Let me pray. Jesus, we, we don't know who's listening to this. Uh, Father, we don't know what is going on in the minds and in the hearts of people who are sitting, uh, maybe in a group of people. Uh, maybe by themselves, Father, we pray that uh, whoever is hearing the sound of my voice right now, that they would respond in faith. Uh, Father, we pray that those who have trusted in Christ, that consider uh, to be a follower of Christ, that we would uh, continually wrestle with the idea that we have been handed a cross, that we have to deny ourselves, that we have things in our life that we need to put to death. So, Father, we ask for your help, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.